Well, it's good to be with you today. Um, again, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Ryan Beatty. So, <clears throat> Marcy and I, we're a little odd for our age. I'm glad no one said amen to that. We tend to like some of the aged shows. I'm going to call it that. Marcy grew up watching uh, Bud Abbott and Lou, Lou Costello um, on just about every VHS or DVD with her Grammy and granddad. We enjoy plenty of other shows like Hogan's Heroes, Gilligan's Island, I Love Lucy, Bonanza, and Gunsmoke. For me, though, I watched a lot of Andy Griffith with my dad growing up on TV land. Right? I love the show. I mean, I thought it was, it had some great moments in it and brought together some great lessons through irony and laughter. One of the episodes, though, that I, I remember, um, it was one where Opie was running a race in the town of Mayberry. Anyone remember that? He was bound and, and determined to win the medal for the race. So Barney, he gets the help from Barney, and he trains, and he trains, and he trains, and he works really hard trying to get ready for the race. Race day comes. Unfortunately, Opie comes in last. So he throws a fit, says that everyone that beat him, he's not going to be friends with them, and he ends up being a sore loser. Barney, of course, comes up with the plan to try to teach him the lesson of what a sore loser looks like. So he does this by acting like he is throwing a fit for not getting a raise that he has been asking for. What he doesn't know is Opie's already straightened up by the time he starts doing this, so he ends up just looking like a fool through it. And of course, ironically, Barney ends up getting that letter that he didn't get a raise, and of course, he actually does throw a fit as the, the episode is ending. It's kind of an episode on fairness. I mean, both Barney and Opie probably reflect how we see fairness sometimes. We want to be rewarded for all of our hard work, but sometimes it just doesn't happen like that. I mean, any of you ever heard or said the phrase, life isn't fair? Jesus often shared parables throughout his, his ministry and stories that also had a message um, with them through listening to Jesus. Often these messages were shocking and just didn't quite make sense to the listener. But one of these parables that Jesus reminds, or that he preaches in, uh, reminds me of this episode of Andy Griffith. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 20, starting with verse 1. And when you have found that, help me know so by standing for the reading of God's word today. Matthew 20, starting with verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven 
is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the morning, he went out and found still others standing around them. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who, who were hired first, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have paid, made them equal to us who have, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the, ones who was, the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you help me to speak your words today and help us to listen to what you have in store for us. In name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. For Jesus' early listeners, this message was shocking and puzzling. I mean, as Jesus starts this parable, he refers to a landowner. Now, in the Greek, Jesus refers to him as oikodespote. I'm going to get that wrong, but oikodespote. Now, this literally means the master of the house. For first century Palestine, it really wasn't uncommon for people who owned uh, land. They would also use it for for something in some form or fashion. Oftentimes it would have been on a small scale, but as we can see from this passage, this was no small scale farm or vineyard because he keeps coming back over and over and over for more workers. Who were these laborers, though? Really, it wasn't uncommon for individuals who were poor to go and find themselves working or find themselves standing in a place in the town looking for work each day. So, think about that. These individuals live day in and day out waiting for that person to come and hire them. They relied on being hired to take care of themselves, to take care of their families, to survive. Even a slave or a hired servant would have had the security of being taken care of in the household. Most of this parable would have made sense to Jesus' uh, listeners, except for until he started using the language of last and first. He tells his foreman to pay them beginning with the last ones and going on to the first. What sense does that make? 
I mean, why? This isn't actually the first time that Jesus' listeners would have heard something like this, though. You know, right before this passage, we hear the story or we see the interaction of Jesus and a wealthy man. It's the wealthy man who comes and asks Jesus, what is it that he needs to do to receive eternal life? Now, for those of you who don't remember, Jesus talks with him and eventually tells him to sell all his possessions and give to the poor, introducing us to that concept of those who are last will be first and first will be last. Now, after all this interaction takes place, Peter asks an interesting and somewhat self-centered question. In Matthew 19, Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will, be, will there be for us? You know, I think Jesus reminds me a bit of my dad after Peter asked this question. Now, for those of you who don't know, when you're a pastor's kid— and you do something or ask something that you probably shouldn't, you're met with a wonderful 30-minute sermon on why you shouldn't have asked that or you shouldn't have done that, right? It's not long after Peter asked this question that we see this story or this parable of the workers in the vineyard. I wonder what he might have been trying to say to the disciples. I think if some of us might relate to Peter, though, I mean, those of you who have been serving in the church for decades might ask yourself or might ask the question, hey, I've done all of this for years and years. Jesus, what then will there be for me? We might feel some sort of entitlement to something more just like the workers did um, or who were hired first at the beginning of the day. But just like Jesus listeners, you may be shocked to find out that what you're receiving is equal to everyone else. God reaches out to those that no one else seems to want. In Matthew 20, it says this, About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyards. Now, the laborer's response to the landowner says a lot more than you might think. I mean, can you imagine what it, have, it would have been like for them? They've been standing in the marketplace all day long, desperate for work, hoping that there would be that person, that someone, that would come and call on them so that they can earn that, earn that day's wage to take care of their family. You ever been in one of these situations? Maybe money's tight. Maybe you just lost your job, and you're trying to figure out, what are you going to do to make ends meet? You search all over Indeed and you know, apply for hundreds and hundreds of applications to do what? Wait. At some point, it's probably feeling like these laborers asking questions like, will anyone ever reach out to me? What if I'm not good enough? Can I just quit trying? I asked myself the question, how many of the laborers that were there at the beginning of the day also left the marketplace because they got tired of trying? Maybe they went home. 
the laborer's statement probably meant that these were the people that others tried to not hire. These were the people that other landowners tried to avoid. Yet this landowner still came to them and called on them. God is always calling for us. We might think of this in terms of provenient grace. So in the Nazarene manual, it says this, We believe that the grace of God through Jesus Christ is freely bestowed upon all people, enabling all who will to turn from sin to righteousness, believe on Jesus Christ for pardon and cleansing from sin, and follow good works pleasing and acceptable in his sight. Now this part where it talks of bestowed upon all people, it's the provenient grace that I'm referring to. I mean, God is always in the marketplace looking for more laborers. It's up to us to choose to go to the vineyard. Yet all people includes those people that society tries to avoid, just like the laborers at the end of the day. Throughout Scripture, we see God challenging his people to keep reaching these individuals, though. In the Old Testament, we find passages like Deuteronomy 10, which says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt." Even in the New Testament, who was it that Jesus kept going to? Who was it that he kept healing? Was it the rich? Was it the people that were taken care of? No. He healed the leper, gave sight to the blind, and sat with a woman at a well who went at noon to try to avoid everyone else in her town that she was in. These are the people that God reaches out to the people that others might ignore or turn away, just like the laborers at the end of the day. So who is it that we might be find ourselves turning away or ignoring? I mean, even at church, do we ever create unwritten rules of what people should look like or talk like before they walk into these doors? Thankfully, God is much bigger than any barriers that we might create. But that doesn't mean that it's okay for us to create or continue to build these barriers. God's grace is one that can reach everyone. God acts toward us in sheer grace. In Matthew 20, 13 through 15, Jesus responds to the workers that Jesus tells about the response um, to the workers that are grumbling. He says, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Let me make sure that I say something very clearly. None of us are deserving of God's grace. Yet out of God's generosity, he gives us the gift of grace by offering us an opportunity to live in right relationship with him. Marcy loves 
to give surprise to give surprise gifts. It's something that I'm still getting used to. You know, growing up in my household, my parents, it really wasn't uncommon um, for them to ask the question around Christmas time, what is it that you want for Christmas, right? Um, And I know I wasn't necessarily going to get that, but at the same time, I at least had an idea of what to expect sometimes. Marcy, on the other hand, She likes to sometimes ask that question, you know, maybe birthday or Christmas, what do I want? But most of the time, this is just her strategy to throw me off of what she actually got me that she is so excited to give me. Most recently, she surprised me with a new puppy. To join our family, we now have Copper. (laughs) He's a mess, that's for sure. I'm not always the best with surprises, which I think she has gotten used to by now. She may be expecting me to freak out, but most of you that know me, even a little bit, know that freaking out over a gift is just not something that's in my nature. You might get a wow or, oh, that's really cool, but you won't get a freak out. Marcy, on the other hand, knows how to get it excited. She likes to tell the story of the time that her parents um, got a Wii and a TV one Christmas around 2003 or so. Now, Dana and Shelly did a great job of building up the anticipation. Uh, They created a scavenger hunt for the kids um, at Christmas time. Now, the story always goes that when they finally found everything, Marcy yelled out, a big screen TV to a 28 or 32 inch TV. It's funny now because it's hard to even find a TV that small today. None of us deserve the gifts that we are given, yet like the landowner in the parable, God continually shows us his generosity through grace. Paul wrestles with this in his letters, but in Romans, he actually says this, but the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died by the trespass of one man, How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Can you hear the excitement in Paul's writing? I wonder what it would have been like for us to respond out of the same excitement Marcy has for the gift of grace that God gives us. Or do we ever find ourselves envious, just like the laborers in the passage? God is the master of the house. He is the creator of all things. He is much bigger than you and I can ever imagine His goodness and compassion is far greater than our understanding. God's grace to us and to those around us should be a cause for joy, not jealousy or envy. In the early church, this was something that they actually struggled with a bit. Paul, sometimes or often, was continually challenging the early church with dealing with things like 
the divisions of Jews and Gentiles. We see this in the book of Galatians, where he talks of, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, nor you all are, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. How easy it must have been for early Jews to feel that they were entitled to God's grace more than the Gentiles around them. You got to think about it. They, they had been living in God's promise for generations. Who were these people that just came into the faith and why did they deserve this heritage that they earned for generations? Do we ever feel that today? God's grace to us and to those around us should be a cause for joy, not jealousy or envy. Salvation is by faith, not by works. I think it's easy for us to have that mindset that what we do somehow earns us our salvation. I mean, our lifestyle is centered around this, way, the ways that we can make more money or what we can get that, with that money uh, that we earn. It's always this give and take with time, money, and the things that we need to have to survive or the things that we want. In some ways, salvation by faith and not by work is radical from our normal day-to-day activities. It's probably the same mindset that these workers who started at the beginning of the day had. It would make sense for them to believe that they should receive more pay because obviously they earned it by working more. I mean, what do you think some of the labor unions around here would have had to say about something like that? Right? Think about places like the factories around here. If someone came to Goodyear, and worked the whole shift, but someone else came in the last hour and they got the same pay for that entire place. They probably would be livid. They'd probably expect changes to happen and that these people who had worked must be compensated for what they had done, the people that worked more. God doesn't work like this, though. God makes a promise with all of us. In the parable... We see that the landowner made a promise to each of the laborers. So the first ones, they agreed to receive a denarius for their work. But to each one after that, the agreement was what? That they would receive whatever is right. How surprised they must have been when they found out that they were getting what the people who started the day got. God's promise is simple. And something that I'm sure many of you know by heart. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is giving us the opportunity to live in a right relationship with him. And his promise is something that sometimes is hard to make sense of. If we believe in Jesus then we are brought into a new relationship that is life-changing and radical from what we may see. Paul talks of this 
as well when he is speaking to the church of Ephesus. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is not something that you can earn like a paycheck. It's not something that you can have more of than others. And it's not something that we can store up. The point of this parable is that we, what we get for serving God is not a wage at all. It's the promise of eternal life. What is asked of us is having faith in his son. But that faith actually calls out of us absolutely everything. Sometimes, like the wealthy man who was asked to sell everything and give to the poor, in the previous chapter, it calls to us a new life. But we don't have to look very far in Scripture to continually see promises that God shares or God offers us. From the very beginning all the way to the end, God continued to, and even today is continually keeping his promises. All that he asks for is for us to go and work in his vineyard and have faith in him. If you will, stand with me. I know that many of us come from different walks of life. Maybe you recognize that you are someone that was raised in church. You grew up knowing God and accepting him as your savior early on. You've been in his, his vineyard your whole life. Maybe this passage challenges you to check where your heart is. Are you concerned with how much you will receive in the end? Is it ever difficult to be joyous or happy for those that are a little late to work compared to you? How can this passage change your heart? Maybe, maybe you feel that it is close to the end of the workday and you find yourself still standing in the marketplace. Maybe you have been wondering to yourself if it really is worth, worth it to keep standing in there or if you'll ever be chosen. Maybe you think that you aren't good enough or just about ready to give up hope. I know a story of someone else that must have felt that way who also was still in the marketplace just before the day was ending. You see, there was this criminal. He'd been living his whole life in sin and doing wrong. And he must have done something really wrong because there were officials that told him that he had to die for what he had done. So they took two large beams and they made it into a T. They nailed his hands and his feet to the cross and hung him up. And as he looked to his side, he saw two others next to him. The guy in the middle had this sign that said, this is the king of the Jews. And as he was hanging there, a conversation took place. One of the criminals who were hanging there kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God 
since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. For this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. If we believe that Jesus can save this man as being punished for his crimes by dying next to him, next to him on a cross, then I think that there's still hope for any that find themselves standing in the marketplace today. God is calling us to live in a relationship with him, to get to know him, and to help him reaching others in the marketplace. As always, the altars are open. I invite you to listen to what God is calling from you.
Pray with me today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you continually to show, show us, even today. God, I pray that you will be with us and help us to continually work to grow in you and figure out who you are so that we can reflect that. I pray that you will help to give us the guidance and the strength to Find those people that are still work, still standing in the marketplace and give us the words to help share the good news and the gospel that you have for them. We pray that you will keep us safe as we leave this place. Help us to know what you have in store for us even over the next week. In your name we pray. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace, for he has already gone before you.